Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thanks for giving up a little bit of your time this week. Again, this week, we will keep on with the case for content. Last week, we heard from Kim Ulrich, who spoke at the case for content, which was an event staged by Content Group in association with Innovation Month with the Australian Federal Government and our partners at the Australian National University School of Business and Economics and the Mandarin newsletter. It was all about content marketing in government and the public sector. Last week, we heard from Kim Ulrich, the Assistant Secretary at the Department of Communications, and she gave a great speech talking about how they are using content and content marketing to improve the development of policy. Well, one of our other great speakers was Trish Johnson, and she's the Assistant Secretary at the Communications Branch of the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. For over two decades, she's worked on some of the government's most complex policy and communication issues, including domestic violence, cybersecurity, Indigenous affairs, climate change, resources and energy, and preventative health. Her experience spans developing large-scale advertising campaigns, managing complex media and stakeholder issues, and supporting communication in remote Indigenous communities. And she currently is leading the PMNC's digital communications transformation. Now, as Trish will tell you in this particular speech, PMNC has been a little late to the content party, but they're making progress. And I think that's the great thing that I took out of this presentation is that PMNC has recognised that they can go direct to influence and engage with audiences on a diverse range of matters within that very big and influential department here in Canberra, Australia. But it's a great talk. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So ladies and gentlemen, Trish Johnson. Thank you. Just sort of reflecting on what uh, Hank was talking about, about evolution. And I remember working in the government communications unit in about the year 2000 and people were doing um, advertising campaigns and we were going, do you think they really need to have a website? You reckon this website stuff's going to take off? (laughs) So in the 20 years that I've been in government communications, there's been a lot of evolution, I can assure you. So I guess I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the digital communications sort of journey that we've been on at PM&C, which has been very kind of short and sharp. Um, And of course, at the heart of that is is content. So um, I just wanted to sort of take you through our journey and give you a couple of um, case studies uh, about how we're going and tell you where we need to go next. Um, About three years ago, PM&C had no communications branch. And when I arrived there about two years ago, Uh, What content was, was a a press release drafted by the line area, and that was pretty much it. So no one was doing any strategic communication, and the idea of, you know, content marketing was, you know, something quite foreign. It wasn't because there weren't people in the department who weren't keen to do that sort of thing. There's, um, PM&C has traditionally been a pretty staid and risk-averse sort of organisation. So there wasn't a lot of appetite at senior levels. And I think the previous Prime Minister did refer to social media as um, online graffiti at one point. So 
there was no sort of top level support for us to be doing anything innovative. But this all ended when it came to, there was a perfect storm for us in um, 2015. So a couple of things happened simultaneously. We had some really very bad media coverage about the Indigenous Affairs um, Strategy Grants programs. And the genesis of the bad coverage was that uh, the content on our internet site was indecipherable to the journalists. So the journalists just kept writing bad story after bad story because they, they were adding up numbers wrong, basically. And the secretary railed around to me one day at an executive meeting and said, Trish, why do we let that content onto the internet site? And I said, well, secretary, um, at uh, PM&C we have a tradition of letting our line areas post content, whatever content they like. And he said, well, I think we better change that. You better start getting control of the content. So tick, way to go, Secretary. Um, so that, that was one of the, uh, the catalysts. Of course, then there was the change in Prime Minister, and as, as Kim experienced, you know, for a couple of years before me, um, our Prime Minister is very digital, and he has very high expectations of what the department can deliver. So very, very quickly, we got uh, very, very digital. Um, and we also, as uh, over the course of a couple of years, we gained policy areas that were very much focused on digital um, things like open data, uh, the digital transformation office is part of our portfolio, smart cities. Uh, so these are big priorities in PM&C now and uh, they all happen, oh, and cyber security of course, um, which all happen in the online space. So we needed to be in that space too. So because uh, I think communications people are eternally optimistic and you know just champing at the bit for the next new exciting thing, we uh, grabbed the bull by the horns and we ran with it. It is a case of having to demonstrate to the business areas how you add value and how, and, and how what you're going to do and the time that they're going to spend with you on that is worth it for them. And I'd say that our starting point was pretty low at PMNC. They, they, as I said, communications was an afterthought. It was a press release, it was some talking points. There was nothing, no real value we could add to those very, very serious policies that people were working on. The other thing, um, you know, as, as I describe a few case studies for you, um, is that we had no additional resources. There was no money to do anything and there were no resources. So we also were running on the smell of an oily rag. But I think, actually, uh, one, I think digital um, comms and, and online channels and things allow you, uh, well, they encourage you to be creative and they encourage you to look at ways to do low cost things. They facilitate that. So, yeah. anyway, I'm sure some of my staff who are here today will tell you that if we had an extra couple of people, it would have been really great. Um, so the first thing that we did was introduce um, a digital first strategy into PM&C. So basically what we were saying to people is now, um, it's not just about online, but it is about your audience and where your audience is, is online. So we need to now be designing communications, designing stakeholder interactions, um, to be where our audience is and to deliver them what it is that they need. So we introduced this, got that ticked off by the very uh, high levels, um, and then we started applying it. And without really much thought, things were happening very quickly. So the first kind of things that we did uh, were, uh, we developed a new internet site, and you will notice, a familiar body. In fact, all of those people are in my branch, actually. But interestingly, um, the desire to use real people, departmental people, actually came from the secretary. 
So we put up to him a design that had eye stock photos in it and he said, oh, yuck, what, get some real people in it. So we did and, and it made the, um, the website very much more interesting. <coughs> But the main reason for doing the website was that the, our earlier website had been developed in the 1990s and was lovely kind of dark greenish sort of colour. And we had a, had a new iteration of it only a couple of years ago, but what we, what we had continued to do in the new iteration was structure it around our structure. So you could go in and you could find the governance group and the cabinet division, and we didn't actually structure it around the types of content that people would be coming to us for. So the whole uh, idea behind the new website was that we've structured around key content areas that people come to us. We've got a lot of analytics about who comes to the site. A lot of people come and we've structured around the key topics. So they come for uh, cabinet information, you know, the running of government they come to us for. They come because they want to work for us. They come because they want to know about cyber security. You know, there's half a dozen um, topics. So it's um, been structured like that. We've spent some time focusing on developing a sort of a digital communication strategy for the department because we have several channels. So we've got the website, we've got, we've now got, as of October last year, Twitter for the department. We've got uh, LinkedIn. We've also got another channel which is mainly um, frequented by people in Indigenous communities uh, called Indigenous.gov and it's got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Flickr, and YouTube attached to it. And it's been in existence a lot longer, um, obviously, than, because it kind of went under the radar. No one was really noticing that we were doing, we were actually, you know, doing content marketing in the Indigenous space. It wasn't until uh, we started to want to do it for the department that people got um, involved. We had to um, quickly set up some governance. Um, so we developed a um, digital communications reference group and, and intent, the intent behind that group was to develop content. We knew that if we wanted all this digital communications to work, we needed lots and lots of content. And in our department, because of the enormous diversity of policy areas, there is a lot of content, but we have no way of, one, getting people to actually feel that it was important, it was an important part of their job to actually communicate the outcomes of their policies and programs, and two, to get it to us. <laughs> so what our operations committee, which is sort of one of the senior committees of deputies that oversee the operations of the department, decided is what we needed was actually an SES level committee with a representative from each of the major groups in the department so that they would be responsible for driving content. And they set content quotas so that, you know, a policy area has to give us um, either five, you know, interesting facts or case studies a month. A program area needs to give us ten because they should be being able to deliver, you know, tell stories about the impacts of their programs. We're struggling to get all that content, I might add, <laughs> but, but there is a desire and an awareness there that that's what we need to do. Um, we also had to um, look at our social media policies and our media policies, actually. We, we had had a social media policy which actually made the news um, some years ago, which was so restrictive that no one could do anything on any channel at any time. <laughs> so, understandably, people in the department were very happy about that. Uh, so what we were able to do was, one, convince the executive that we needed to be in social media 
and that took a bit of convincing. And the former secretary did make me promise that no one would be drinking wine whilst tweeting. And I said, I think I can, <laughs> I think I can convince you. Uh, I can guarantee that. But also, we wanted. We know that some of the people in our department are, are national and/or world leaders in their area. So why wouldn't we be supporting and encouraging them to be online? And in fact, they were. The reality was that they were. The whole data, open data people, when they came, they came with social media, they came with websites, they came with blogs. You know, they had individuals had massive followings uh, in Twitter, on Twitter and on Facebook. So we needed to actually deal with it, not put our head in the sand. So we did. So where, where the executive got to was that certain individuals in the department can be authorised to, to act in an individual way but to be discussing work-related things. So that's a massive step forward in about six months, so we're pretty impressed with ourselves. And in terms like uh, Kim, we felt that we needed to do some capability development. First, first of all, we're focusing on us. I'm not in that space, so I needed to become a bit more educated myself. And my sense was, and no offence to any um, Gen Y people here, but because you're all users of the technology, I think everyone thinks you're experts at it. And I still, and I think that there's there's a difference between being an educated user and being a strategist. So I'm concerned to develop all of all of my people to be actual strategists in social media, not just you know, yeah, yeah, I know how to use the technology. So we've been doing some, we've been focusing a bit on that. And we have actually been looking at our technology as well. I mean, we haven't had that support to upgrade our technology in a big way. So the best thing that we've been able to do, we're, we're working hard to consolidate our online presence down from 30 websites down to hopefully probably about three. So we'll have DPMC, we have a ministerial media centre, which is the, four, the, the most prominent one is, of course, the pm.gov and the Indigenous channels, because that is uh, set up specifically as an Indigenous engagement channel, not as a sort of a policy and departmental channel. So that's our aim. We're down to, I think we're down to 10. So we've done pretty well. So the first case study I just want to talk to you about very quickly um, was closing the gap. So every year in February, the um, Prime Minister reports to the Parliament on progress against a certain set of key indicators um, in Indigenous health, uh, employment, education, wellbeing, those sorts of things. So we, we convinced this line area that what they needed, because we were digital first now, what they needed was to have um, an interactive online report. What it had was first some design by an Indigenous person, which was a big step forward from a nice navy blue document, but also it had a lot of rich content. There was a lot of video content. There were a lot of infographics. The, the response to it from the Indigenous community alone was worth the effort, you know, um, because what it, what it signalled was that we were looking at this in a new way, that we were very interested to hear the stories of Indigenous people, and it had a, you know, the stakeholders were more happy than we thought that they would be. What we did know in terms of content, you know, finding content is hard, and particularly if you want to have content real content about a person in an Indigenous community telling you how much better things are now that they've got a job. That takes a lot of work from a lot of people to get that content. We did get that content and for next year's report we're starting to get that content now because it takes a lot of effort. 
What we also did, which was really good in terms of content, the night before the actual closing the gap statement to the parliament, the Prime Minister had an entrepreneurs event, Indigenous entrepreneurs event up at um, Parliament House. So it happened to have a lot of the um, same Indigenous leaders that would be around for the next day talking about the Closing the Gap report. So we took that opportunity, because they were there, to get Vox Pops and film them so that we could use it on social channels. So we're getting a lot cleverer at saying, okay, well, Person X is here for this event. Why don't we get a statement for them about blah? And we'll put it in the bank and we'll wait until we need to use it or, you know, or we'll have a dedicated plan for using it. There was a lot of learning that we got from this project that then we took into another couple of projects. The main one, I guess, is the cultural change. We had to work very, very hard to convince people that this would be a better thing, you know, that this would be a better way of doing it, it would be more engaging, more people would, would um, be interested. Uh, and they were. I think the thing, uh, the other thing we learnt was um, in that instance we didn't engage our stakeholders enough. We didn't reach out and say, hey, can you, can you guys, you know, retweet us or, you know, point to, point to us in your social media. And I think that was a little bit of a failing of that. And we did a lot of social media for a day or two, but we could have actually staged it over an entire week, I think, you know, if we'd actually interacted with our stakeholders a little bit more. And, but the main thing that happened then was our senior executive said, right, that, that was amazing, let's have more of that. <laughs> so I did get the opportunity to say to them, though, if, yeah, happy to, you know, like my team are raring and ready to go, but we need money and we need commitment. So if you want this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost. So I'm half winning that battle. Um, so then we did uh, cyber security was the next one. And again, another group of people that came to our department going, what are you people doing? You're not on Twitter. <laughs> you know, had a lot of conversations like that. And um, obviously that cyber space is their policy area. So, and all of their stakeholders, their stakeholders are, you know, Qantas, Telstra, Google, Amazon, you know, they're online. We needed to be online too. So the um, prime minister was launching the um, cyber security strategy. And I guess for us, this was the first time where we saw the benefits of, of using the old-fashioned, I guess, approaches to media and comms and making them work together with the, you know, the, more, the newer online forums. So what we actually did um, was we actually did a background briefing uh, for the press gallery, which had been never heard of in Prime Minister and Cabinet. And we were able to convince the executive to do it and the line area to want to do it because we were solving a business problem for them. So the business problem uh, was that they are consistently misreported. What, you know, it's all about China and China's hacking into it. That's not what's actually going on, people. Um, but that's all that the journalists are actually ever interested in. And they, there's a lot of language around cybersecurity that the media toss around, which is actually inaccurate and, and doesn't mean what it actually means in the cyber world. So we had a, um, a Faz in our department who's sort of been steeped in this policy work for about 20 years. So we got her some media training. We um, put her in front of the press gallery and she was amazing. There wasn't a question that, that she couldn't answer. So that worked really well. So then on, in the papers and in the online editions of the papers in the morning that the Prime Minister was going to launch, the papers were full of cybersecurity strategy 
because people had had a chance to absorb it, ask questions. And the Prime Minister made uh, his keynote speech, which we live streamed through our website, which was the first time that we'd ever done that. Uh, and about a thousand people watched it. You know, not not bad for your first time. And we ended up getting about 450 sort of articles across print, broadcast, and online in 24 hours. I mean, I think if PMC had ever got an article <laughs> in before, that was, you know, pretty good going. And we we were megaly impressed with ourselves because we trended on Twitter for several hours at number four. So, um, and the strategy was downloaded 600 times. So, you know, quite quite a lot. The other thing that we did was, um, again, to support, you know, that, that crossover between traditional and new media was that we set up a Dropbox where we had information packages and infographics and video clips and all that for all the different media to actually use. So really, the success of that strategy was around, you know, good briefing, but fit for purpose content. We, we gave every different audience the content they wanted in the format they wanted it, so it made it really, really easy for them to use it. So that was, you know, very successful. And again, the executive was sort of getting a little bit more excited. So come the um, Smart Cities plan. Well, this one the Prime Minister was excited about as well. So we were all very, very excited. Um, <laughs> And this plan, because it does affect so many millions of people, did need very broad engagement. So we had to come up with a way and a, and a platform um, to engage people to have their say on what the, the type of city that they do want to live uh, in in the next, you know, 30 to 50 years. So we developed an online um, engagement platform through Bang the Table um, to, to facilitate the um, consultation. Um, we live streamed that. We did again. We did a bit of the pre-briefing of the uh, of the newspaper journals and the press gallery. And th this plan was downloaded 1,400 times, and we had 2,300 people visiting our site at the time that the launch was happening. So these are, you know, in commercial world they're not a lot, but in in government they're not bad statistics. And that day we trended on Twitter as number one. So only weeks apart and we were really rocking it. The funny thing was, though, it was amazing to see how a few successes like this um, really got rallied around the division heads in particular. So, uh, you know, I go to the meeting with all the division heads and the secretary, and they were kind of competing with each other, you know, kind of going, oh, you were only fourth, we were first. So we've, you know, piqued that competitive interest that gets you to being a division head um, to uh, work in our favour. But again, it was having the right content, you know, in the right place. We gave people somewhere to congregate, to come and talk and have a conversation, and we made the content relevant to them. And, you know, we've got, because we do um, have policy responsibility for open data and, and um, open government, we're increasing transparency. We're allowing the public to join in the discussion about how they want to live. And that's, you know, as, as um, David was talking about earlier, you know, it's about telling a story and it's about telling people why it should matter to them. And we seem to have kind of gone away from that um, in recent years. So we've got um, our PMNC Twitter, which we do a mix of kind of internal and external things. We've, this is indigenous.gov down the bottom here. 
And that is purely good news stories. And the purpose of that is to share good news stories and to normalise positive behaviours and to show different communities how things work. Because although each community is individual and different, there might be an idea that worked in Community X that we could use in Community Y. So those stories are always fantastic. That content is really delightful um, content and we get a lot of really positive engagement on Indigenous.gov. And then we've also, this is um, Sandra, one of our cybersecurity stars. We're trying to think of ways to make it easy to do as well because we don't have a lot of people. So this was just, let's go stand out the front of the building with our iPhone, let's get a 30 second grab and tweet it. And we did, and you know, it worked. A few people clicked through to our site, and so, and I guess the journey, which I'll talk about a little bit more, but the journey for us is about how do we get the content? How do we make it really, really easy for people to get it to us? And how do we go out to regional areas and skill people up so that they can get the content for us? So we've got a whole, got a whole strategy about that. The other thing we're trying to do with content is actually see if there's different ways of tailoring the same content to different channels. For example, as I said on indigenous.gov, we get a lot of those really rich human interest, um, really positive stories. There's always a policy or a someone in our department has usually done something in relation to that. So what we've started to do is take the one story, have the policy aspect of it on DPMC, have the um, community aspect of it in indigenous.gov and then uh, have the our staff's involvement aspect of it on um, our internal intranet. And that's either video or a story and yeah, that sort of stuff. And that's, we're just trying to find ways to optimise the content we have because we just don't have enough to keep it as fresh and regular as, as we need to. That all happened quickly. That happened all really between October and Caretaker. So we were doing a lot of work, probably wasn't all as strategic as it could have been. So now we really need to spend some time working out how we want to develop ourselves uh, in a digital sense and what, what are the different roles of our channels and what is our content strategy and get very clear on that and put in the necessary processes uh, in the department. Um, you know, more user-generated content, more telling of that long-term story, less sort of dipping in and out. Um, which is a, is a little tricky for us because we're telling lots of stories. You know, we're telling a cyber security story, we're telling a national security story, we're telling an indigenous story, we're telling a data story, you know. So we have to kind of work out how they work together and where it's best for them to be separate. I think we need to do some more work on um, stakeholders. I think we could, we could do a lot more it with them. Um, and, and engaging our line areas in that discussion as well. You know, how do we get your stakeholders and how do you reach out and how do we make the right contacts to get content? Uh, oh, and greater interactivity. I think that's a place we're very scared to go and it might be a little way off, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that people want to talk to the policy leaders in government about. And I think we, I don't think we can be having a sort of an open government policy and not facilitating that kind of conversation. So anyway, that'll be something to look out for. The next big sort of content uh, strategy for us will be constitutional recognition. So my team is working with the task force on that to develop sort of a digital platform to facilitate consultation and engagement. And again, getting the right content, uh, enough of it at the right times that's interesting and gives the audience what it wants will be the big challenge there. 
But as you can see, it's been a short journey and sharp journey so far. It's been lots of fun. We've learned a lot on the way along the way. We're constantly kind of reassessing and reevaluating what we're doing. And in the words of our Prime Minister, it's never been a better time to be in communications at PMC. Well, there you go. See, I told you, it was good. It was a great uh, presentation on a great day. I really, really enjoyed it. And to listen to it once again is is very uh, satisfying because of the value that it created for you, the audience. And I know that there's a lot of you on this content marketing journey who will probably share some of the frustrations and the challenges, some of the triumphs and some of the setbacks that Trish uh, explored in that presentation. So yeah, great episode again. And thanks again to Trish for her involvement in the case for content. And we will have another presentation next week. But for now, have a great week. Uh, telling your stories, engaging directly with citizens through content, and I'll be back again next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.